Hey guys, what's up? It's Joey Suki again. I just wanted to let you know that recently we've launched a new online course on the Artist Coaching website, which is called the DIY Artist Bootcamp. This training, this online training is all created for the DIY artist who needs to do everything by himself and who wants to know more about music promotion, music marketing, branding, networking, goal setting, or how to create content. It's actually created for the, for the artist who releases his own music, but doesn't really know what to do after he released his song. So if this is something you're interested in, it's a course, it's online on artistcoaching.nl. Feel free, feel free to check it out and let me know what you think. I think it's really valuable to all those DIY artists. Hey everyone, what's up and welcome back to the Artist Coaching Podcast with me, Joey Suki. Today you're gonna listen to a more in-depth interview talk um, with Jeffrey. And Jeffrey has been a guest in this podcast for a couple of times now. He's a mastering engineer. So if you're a music producer and you're dealing with mixing and mastering almost every day, this will be a very valuable um, talk. We will talk about studio acoustics, uh, mixing and mastering. Like I said, it's going really in-depth. So um, I'm sure there's something in here that might help you in the future. So uh, yeah, let's not wait. Let's get into it. This is my talk with Jeffrey from The Goose Mastering. What's up, Jeffrey? Hello, man. How are you? All good, man. I ran a little bit late, so sorry for that. But uh, <laughs> A lot of traffic jams. <laughs> yeah, it's shitty weather, so people don't forget how to drive when it's shitty weather, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah that's cool. When, I, when you have your studio at home, you, you don't have a lot of traffic jams. It takes me like 20 seconds to get to my studio from the living room. Yeah, which is exactly, cool. exactly. Like, to me today, <laughs> I'm going to bring I... my daughter to school. Uh, that will take me five minutes by bike. So. Oh, okay. And when it's raining, I usually take the car, but that's, that's just me. So. Luxury. <laughs> yeah, luxury for yeah. sure. Yeah, I, I like to work um, when I can. I like to work on different places. Uh, mm -hmm. So today I didn't have any meetings except for this one. Um, yeah. So I decided to go to uh, an office of one of my friends, and uh, then I I just like to work in different environments every now and then to uh, have different like. Yeah, people. Yeah, different context, different feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. different energy. Yeah, funnily, uh, funnily enough, yesterday I went down to Jaboa Mastering in uh, Belgium. Uh, as you might have known, I also have a company called Dutch Audio, and I make uh, and design uh, mastering consoles for mastering studios and also for recording studios. And Jaboa bought a console for me, and I did some modifications for him. So I went down to Belgium yesterday. So for me, it was also traffic jams and things like that. But yeah. uh, it was also cool. But for the rest, yeah. It, it's pretty much impossible to do my work somewhere else because yeah. I'm used to my studio, I'm used to my monitoring. Uh, so usually I'm just working in my studio, unless I do lectures, of course, yeah. because uh, I'm doing uh, a lot of lectures for uh, School of Audio Engineering, SAE, mm -hmm. and that's in Amsterdam. So I always have to go there to do those lectures, of course. How often and, is that? Yes, and also for uh, Albeda College, which is in Rotterdam, mm -hmm. uh, which is the music department, which they have like the the... Albeda Music Producers course, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I also have to go down there, which is in the area of Rotterdam, which is like 15 minutes from here. So, uh, but usually, yeah, when I'm mastering, I'm working from home. 
so yeah that that's how it works for me which is which is pretty cool but yeah and how often do you do those uh like schools uh it depends with uh, sae school of audio engineering uh the courses out of my mind because i'm not officially working for them start like three times a year i think it is mm -hmm. uh and so it means that over a period of a couple of weeks, uh, I do that three times a year. And with Alberta College, uh, it depends. Uh, it's the, 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 the third and fourth grade uh, students, and it depends there as well. And I also do lectures for sound education in my studio. So, yeah, it's, it's spread over a whole year. So it's not like this period, okay. this period, it's, it's spread over the year, okay. which, is, which is pretty cool. Sometimes it's, it's pretty busy. December was actually really busy <laughs> mm -hmm. i made like 80 hours a week or something like that during the last couple of weeks in december with mastering dutch audio and teaching and yeah but yeah to me after all those years it still doesn't feel like working because yeah. you're doing something that you love and then it's it's not working like going to your nine to five job or something like that it still doesn't feel that way yeah i can so, imagine yeah. and you're still yeah. smiling so that's a good sign i'm still smiling yeah <laughs> <laughs> Even though I have a bit of a cold, but for the rest, uh, yeah. I'm still smiling, definitely. Yeah, for well, sure. Well, that's good to see. Well, yeah. uh, to everyone who's listening or watching this video right now, you might have seen this man before because this is the third time, I guess, the third time. Yeah, the something show. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did and, a um, Skype session before. We yeah. did one live stream, I think, also on Instagram mm -hmm. and. I think something else as well. Not 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 sure. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's about yeah. the third time. But um, yeah. Jeffrey is a mastering engineer. I think that's the best way to describe what you do. True. Exactly. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why he's in his studio right now, as you can see in the background. Um, yep. <laughs> let's start off talking about the environment because this is something that I see. Uh, well, the question that I get a lot from from well clients or just followers. Um, a lot of the a lot of the producers out there are struggling to um, get a proper sound, so get yeah. a proper mix and master at the same time. And yeah. they start asking me all these questions, like which speakers do I have to buy, or which which I don't know what kind of things do I have to buy to make things better. And I always yeah. tell them it all starts with your room. True, one hundred percent true. You can yeah. you can buy the the most expensive speakers on the planet, but if your room sucks, it's all uh, yeah, it's all unnecessary. It's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so can sure. you explain yeah. a bit more in well baby language, like how that works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. how it works. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I also get a a lot of questions like, yeah, what what brand of speakers do I have to buy? It's it's pretty much comparable to cars because I drive Volvo. It's the most safe car in the world. It's the biggest, the most heavy, the most energy-consuming car, maybe even. No, not, not true, but it's a bit like cars. Kind of like some people out. like BMW, some people like mm -hmm. Mercedes-Benz, some people like Audi, whatever. You, you, you get the idea. It's mm -hmm. not like this car or this brand of speakers is the best speakers you should get. It's, mm -hmm. it's always a matter of taste when it comes to the speakers itself. Um, but what's even more important, you, you already mentioned it, that the room where you put those speakers in is even more important than the speakers itself. Because if you have really brilliant speakers, but you have a room with a lot of reflections and things and a lot of dips and peaks in the low frequencies, those really brilliant speakers will behave like shitty speakers. Yeah. But and if just, you have just these... For, for a beginner, because you mentioned when your room has peaks, what do you mean when yeah. you say peaks? 
Uh, all rooms have a what they call a room mode, which is reflections. And depending on which frequency it is, depending on how long, how big, how high your room is, you will get resonance frequencies. And that could be a peak mm -hmm. or a dip, depending on where you sit, where the bass is going to build up. It's basically what is happening. You have like a waveform and the waveform is bouncing back, for instance, from the back wall and it's bouncing back in exactly the same way. But what happens, it it adds to each up. other, so yeah. those waveforms will be added on top of each other, so it's going to be louder on that frequency. Or it could be, let's say that the official frequency starts here and the bounce back frequency gets on top of that, it will null, it, the, yeah. the sound will be gone. So, so depending on where you sit, which frequency it is, depending on how big your room is, so that, uh, you will so always that explains, have those. That explains that when you have, well, let's say you have a home studio and you walk to the back of your room, you feel you feel more bass. Yeah, and then true. when you're in the middle of your room, you kind of lost the bass. Yeah, true. And that's not a good thing because then you have those bass frequencies mm -hmm. building up or cancelling depending on where you stand, where you sit, yeah, what you just described. And that's a big problem because, uh, for instance, let's say you have a problematic frequency at 50 hertz, mm -hmm. uh, where a lot of energy of your bass drum is. Uh, let's say you have a dip there. What you will always do, you will try to compensate in your mix or maybe even in your master if you try to do that yourself by boosting that frequency too much. But if you have too much energy there because instead of that you have a dip you have a peak you're like oh wow there's way too much energy there so you tend to cut that frequency too much which means all of a sudden you don't have a lot of power in your bass drum yeah uh, so all rooms have those problems there is no not a single room which doesn't have that problem and then there are people like yeah but you can get software and it will compensate you cannot beat the law of physics you mm -hmm. cannot uh, make your room sound different or sound good with that software. That's physically impossible. Yeah, if you have, a, what if you have room correction, does is EQing, right? Yeah, but if you EQ it, let's say you have a dip and you EQ it, you're boosting that frequency. Mm -hmm. um, it could be that it's a bit more flat at your sweet spot. But what could happen is that when you put your back, your head back here, instead of a peak, a peak it, it's going to be a dip or the other way around. And then you're making that problem even worse. Mm. And then you're just boosting the frequency. You're also dealing, and it's going to be complex now, you're also dealing with the time domain, which means uh, it's not just the level of the frequency, but also the timing of the frequency, the decay, the, the ringing of that frequency. Mm -hmm. And you officially you cannot compensate for that as well. Like I said, with software, you simply cannot do that. There's only one way to fix those issues is that by using a lot of bass traps. And yeah. uh, also what a lot of people tend to do is go online and buy those cheap ass foam panels. Yeah. Uh, you see them online everywhere. Like, yeah, they sell them as bass traps. But what's really funny about those bass traps is that they actually don't work as a bass trap. Bass frequencies are, let's say, below, between 20 hertz and, I don't know, 150 hertz, 200 mm -hmm. hertz. That's where your bass frequencies are, and that's where the problems will always be. But there's one problem with those foam panels. They don't work below 200 hertz, and they sell them to you as being bass traps. So they sell you something for problems which you cannot solve with these bass traps yeah, yeah. because the, they simply they don't work panels, in that area. They, they work for mid and high frequencies, right? Yeah, 
True. They emit yeah. work from it in high frequencies, but because they don't work in low frequencies and because you're dampening those mid and high frequencies too much, mm -hmm. it could be that you make the problem even worse than it actually was before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, so I always, uh, when people are like, yeah, what foam pedals should I buy? Don't buy those foam pedals. They're just a waste of money. Get some proper acoustical treatment. Get r big, heavy rock wool panels or things like that. Mm. Those panels will work in the frequency range that you want them to work and so below uh, below 200 hertz or something yeah. like that. that's where the frequency problems are not up off that in, yeah, in, my, sure. in my old yeah. studio i i've built uh, like the, the the wall in the back i made it from um some kind of like cotton i think it was like a, yeah. like, a like a curtain that was hanging in front of it and behind the curtain there was a like a half a meter of uh rock wool True. And, and yep. in front of that, I put the couch. So I, I've heard that a couch also absorbs bass sounds. Uh, could be depending on how it works, but it, yeah. at least it so, could could do something. Yeah. yeah. So to yeah. me, uh, start. I really felt like that worked. But when I get the question from someone who has their studio at home, it's kind of impossible, right? Without without uh, redecorating the whole building and uh, True. Yeah. All those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. It's, like I, like I said, with the software, you cannot beat the law of physics. And mm -hmm. all rooms, no matter how long, how big, whatever, they will always have uh, a resonance frequency. Simply said, and depending on how long it is, uh, it could be that it's at fifty hertz, at forty hertz, sixty hertz, seventy hertz, whatever. It could be anything. But that's how sound works. And yeah, you you it only works if you use proper panels. There's no workaround for it. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay. what you could do is place your speakers maybe even closer to the wall or just a tiny bit uh, away from the wall, things like that. You can do some experiments with it, but still you will always have really big peaks or dips or mm. a combination of those. So yeah, okay. and, and also a 100% flat room, that's also not possible. The, yeah, the, there will always be some peaks and dips, but they should not be like really big. And yeah, exactly. Because the bigger they are, the bigger the problem is. Yeah. yeah because let's let's take your room for instance. This is a, yeah. a professional built studio. Mm -hmm. um, you still have like peaks as well, but yeah, I it's still not one hundred percent flat. No. Exactly. But I think that the difference between um, if you do mastering, you simply cannot master a track in a wrong room. No, true. Because let's say I have a dip at fifty hertz and I'm listening to a track. You don't want to guess like what I hear right now. Is it my room? Is it my speaker? Or is it the mix? You don't want to guess like, okay, this is the problem or not. I don't know. But yeah, let's boost that frequency or something like that. No, then, then you have a problem. As a full-time mastering engineer, you need to be 100% sure that what you're hearing is actually going on there. So no guessing. You don't want to guess. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And does that yeah. also has to do with knowing your room as in knowing where your where your dips are knowing where yeah, your peaks true. are true yeah yeah true but on the other hand uh, the human hearing is also really subjective if for instance um you listen to an album and that album doesn't have a lot of high frequencies for mm -hmm. instance at the beginning when you listen to that album you're like it sounds dark there's no not a lot of high frequencies it it sounds dark but after, let's say, two or three tracks, you pretty much get used to it. Your ears, mm. your brain uh, adopts to it. And yeah, it still sounds good. 
But when that album is done and you listen to an album afterwards or a song afterwards, which is balanced, which is okay, all of a sudden it will feel like there's way too much highs in there because <laughs> your brain, your hearing adopted to yeah. less high frequencies. Could also be in, a, in low frequencies, of course, but in this case I'm taking the high frequencies. But that's how the human brain works. The human brain is, human hearing, human brain is really, yeah, not objective when it comes to that. So, and yeah. do, you, do you have like, um, because you once gave me a tip, which I think was pretty useful, that um, I think it had to do with mixing, not necessarily with mastering, but more with mixing. Um, well, I think with mastering as well. If you are going to mix or master your track, keep the master volume on one level. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, maybe you heard of the Fletcher Munson curve that was invented by Mr. Fletcher and Mr. Munson mm. somewhere, I think, in the beginning of the 1900s. Never heard of it. And no. they found out that depending on how loud a, a, a sound is, you will hear more or less low frequencies, high frequencies, depending on how loud it is, you're more... Uh, perceiving those frequencies as being louder or less loud. Okay. Uh, the most flat response is roughly around 80 dB SPLA. Uh, so my room is calibrated to roughly 80 dB SPLA, which means I have a fixed monitor level. Mm -hmm. I always master at that monitor level. I have a separate screen um, with meters where I can see the actual levels and things like that. But I don't even have to use those level of those meters because I know by ear if it's loud enough or not. And also, if, for instance, if you monitor at a lower level, you will hear those low frequencies as less loud, which means you will compensate for that and you will turn in a mix or mass or whatever you're doing, you will turn those low frequencies up more. Mm, okay. But you're actually compensating for yeah. how the human brain works. Yeah. So That's interesting. And is there like any other thing that music producers sitting at home in their home studio could do or could implement into their whole system? Uh, yeah. Maybe it's like a software thing or maybe it's just a simple tip, but is there something um, they can do to yeah. make mixing more easy? Uh, first of all, like I said, like a calibrated monitoring setting, it doesn't like to be like really calibrated, like, okay, metering and whatever. Uh, but actually a fixed monitoring level will really work a lot because if you do that, like what I said, your mixes will be a lot better. Um, what you could do if you have like a pop meter, like a regular volume knob, just listen to what you think is the right sound. You can also download an app on your phone and use uh, an SPL meter. If you, you look in the app store for an SPL meter, you can see how loud it is. You have to set it to SPLA mm -hmm. and see how loud it is. And it's a good idea to use something like 80, between 80 and 83 dB SPLA. For me, yeah, for, for mixes. So you made a mix, you're like, okay, this sounds great. Then you have your volume up to, let's say, set to, I don't know, like two o'clock or something mm -hmm. like that. And what you could do is use a marker, set a, a line there, and then that's your reference point. Okay. Sometimes you want to turn the volume up to see what it sounds like when you turn it up. And if it's louder, sometimes you want to turn it down to see what it sounds like when it's less loud. But after that, you get back to your reference point okay. where you set a line with a marker. But what happens if you turn it up and you don't have that line and you turn it down, your ears are already uh, used to the louder sound. So instead of the reference point being at two o'clock, you probably turn it to three o'clock or something like that. So you, you most likely turn it up louder than before. Yeah. And after 10 minutes, you do the same thing again. You turn it up and you turn it down again, but even then a tiny bit more 
loud than before that setting. Yeah. And that is pretty problematic because first of all, it's really tiring to listen to really loud sounds when mixing. Mm-hmm. So you will get hearing fatigue, you, you, you simply get tired, but also more chance of hearing damage. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know the exact values, but uh, at 80 dB, uh, in a working environment, you're allowed to work, I think, like seven or eight hours at 80 dB SPL. Mm-hmm. But when you go to 85 dB SPL, all of a sudden you're not allowed to work longer than like five hours or something like that mm-hmm. instead of eight hours. And the louder you go, the less time you are allowed to work in that uh, in in that in that loudness. Yeah. So it's also bad for your hearing to work at that uh, at those levels. Yeah. So so, so keep your knob at a fixed. Uh, fixed volume monitoring level. Yeah. Is yeah. there anything yeah. else they they could do? So maybe uh, work with curtains, or maybe put the, the, a couch in the back, or I don't know. yeah, do things like that. But also making bass traps or buying bass traps, uh, real bass traps is not really that expensive. For instance, if you go to GIK Acoustics, mm-hmm. uh, they're not that expensive, and they have really good products, and you can also send them an email like, okay, this is my room, um, uh, what product should I buy? And they also give you some tips like, you should put it there, you should put it there, or something like that. They're, they're really good at these kind of things. Okay. But you can also make them yourself if you want. Uh, the material is not that expensive, it just takes quite some time to make them look good as well, because you don't want to put some kind of block of rock wool in the back of your room or in the front of your room or something like that. Yeah. Uh, always. By the way, uh, bass buildup, like those resonances, is most likely coming from the back wall, but also is building up in corners. So mm. it's always a good idea to start with those bass traps by putting them in the corners of your room, uh, because that's where the bass buildup is mostly active. Simply okay. said, yeah. That's good, so, to, know. That's good yeah. to know. Okay, so um, I was thinking there was one other thing I wanted to ask because I was talking about this with one of my clients yesterday and I, I told him that I was going to speak to you today so I was going to ask it for him. Mm-hmm. He asked, um, is it a bad thing to put a limiter on a kick? Um, no, it's music, there are no laws. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that the was only exactly thing is that, my account. That was my answer. <laughs> I told him the same exact yeah. thing. The, the cool thing, that what they always say, what I always also say is that you should know the rules to know how to break the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are no rules in music, but depending on how you work. For instance, if you want to send your mixes to a mastering engineer and some people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm mixing with a limiter on my master bus. So the complete mix is going through a limiter. That's not a good idea because then you're literally limited as a mastering engineer to what you can do to the sound because yeah. all the dynamic the dynamics are gone. It's already flat and you it's lifeless. And when you overdid it, your hands are tied as a mastering engineer. Yeah. So I also don't think it's a good idea to mix with a limiter on the master bus. But on the other hand, um, it's also good to know what happens if the track gets mastered, so it's also a good idea to, so let's say you have done your mix, then you add a limiter to see what it sounds like after limiting. So basically what it could sound like after mastering so that you know that your track has the loudness potential or that it doesn't fall apart. Yeah, Yeah. but actually mixing with a limiter on all the time, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, I see that. Putting a limiter on a kick doesn't necessarily have to be No, that doesn't matter, no, no. to be honest, I don't think it will add something to the sound. 
Maybe okay, some compression will add something to the sound because a limiter is just limiting those peaks. Hmm. And the bass drum should be peaking. The bass drum should not be flat. No, the bass drum should have a peak. Yeah. It should have punch and a punch is a peak. Is a peak, so, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, my gut say it's not like it's not a good idea to do, but it doesn't add anything to the sound. You will just make the kick drum flat. Okay. But if it sounds good, it is good. Yeah, that's the golden that's, rule, that's, you know. If it sounds good, thing. it's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the way how I, how I like it, at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody so. cares about how it's made, right? Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, well, there was just one thing that popped up that I, I needed to ask. Um, you told me that you, like, kind of prepared some points, like things uh, yeah. that, that, that were updated or whatever that you wanted to go Yeah, over. yeah. I, I have a couple of trends that seem to be going on right now. Uh, in some kind of way, there are... Uh, quite some people, especially in the most, actually, mostly in the dance scene, that are like, yeah, I want my tracks to be mastered with stems because if I do stem mastering, the end result will be better. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what's where the difference between because, for, for everyone listening. What's the difference between those two things? Uh, mastering is based on working with the stereo mix, so just the left and right channel, so the complete mix, mm -hmm. and that's where the mastering engineer is working on with stems. It will be grouped into, let's say, four or five groups or something like that. So the instruments, the bass drum, the bass line, and the vocals, for instance. Um, but if your mix is good, stem mastering will not make the end result better. Mm. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions right now, that people think that it will always be better with stem mastering. That's bullshit. If your mix is scrappy, trust me, with stem mastering, it will still be a, a crappy mix. Yeah. It will not be fixed with stem mastering. Uh, and also, let's say it could be fixed with stems. The next time you go to the same mastering engineer, could be me, could be anything, could be any, anybody else, um, you will still make the same mistake again because the mix was crappy because you probably made a mistake. I believe more in the fact that as a mastering engineer that you should always give feedback on the mix, like, okay, mix is good, but I think the bass drum should be, I don't know, 2 dB louder, the bass line should be there, and I think it's better to do it like this, this, this. Because then the end result will be better, because the mix is better. Yeah. And the next time, you still have to like, okay, yeah, the bass drum should have been louder. Okay, bam, all of a sudden you're doing that. So you're learning, and you can focus, because you already learned that, you can focus on different things as well. So for instance, making your hi-hat sound even better or making better melodies or whatever. So um, with those stem mastering, um, the only reason why stem mastering is uh, really cool is for the mastering engineer itself because he can charge more. It's more control. Yeah, and the thing, that, that's what I wanted to ask. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you because do stem it's more expensive. Exactly, it's going to take more hours because yeah, now you're going to do yeah. the mixing yeah. and the mastering. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, some people are also still confusing stem mastering with mixing. Something, sometimes people are coming to me like, yeah, could you master this track for me? And all of a sudden, I get a weed transfer of like five gigabytes for one track. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then I open up the file and I see like 50 stems. Yeah, that's, that's not mastering, that's, that's mixing. mixing. Two yeah. different things. And so, I'm not a mixing engineer. So, so yeah. the difference is mixing is literally all the elements that a track has, right? Yep. yep. Stem mastering is groups. Yep. And mastering is the whole the whole, the whole thing mix. at once. Yeah. yeah. True. Okay. Yeah. 
So, and also what a lot of people don't even realize, uh, quite a lot of people mix with something like uh, an equalizer or a bus compressor on their master bus. And if they export stems and put those stems on top of each other, yeah. it will sound different. Yeah. Because if you bounce the complete mix, all those elements go through the same chain, go through the same master uh, uh, section uh, uh, bus processing. Mm -hmm. But if you do it with separate stems, they will respond differently. Yeah, that's a good so one. So yeah. it could be that the end result will be even less. Yeah, good one, good point. stereo mix. So what was yeah. the other point that you uh, wanted to go um, Yeah, I also see a trend uh, with uh, vinyl. Vinyl uh, used to be pretty big. For DJs, yeah, you, you can see it, but I, I have quite a lot of oh, uh, vinyl. vinyl. Sorry. <laughs> I thought you meant vinyl. Maybe you can see one of the turntables in yeah, the back. Yeah, vinyl, <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, but uh, back in the days, all DJs were playing with vinyl, and I noticed that uh, with techno, and also, not, not really with EDM, but with techno and some clubby tracks, that people are going for vinyl again, hmm. which is pretty cool. But what they forget to ask the mastering engineer is that they are going to release it on vinyl. And it's because you need process. a separate master for final, because yeah. if you have a digital release, you will use limiting, maybe some clipping, whatever it, it, you want it to be loud. Not that loud, but you get the idea. You want it loud. But limiting and especially clipping works the opposite on final. You need dynamics. You need transients. Otherwise, it sometimes it cannot be even cut on final. <laughs> and so they are like, yeah, could you send me a master? Yeah, cool. I make a master but they don't ask for a final master next to it. So mm. if you're going to release on final as well, always keep in mind that you need separate masters for final. And that's just the limiting part. But for also for, for instance, if you have um, uh, really edgy high frequencies or loud cymbal crashes or things like that, those can also not be cut on final. So a mastering engineer also needs to take these kind of things into account, but also low frequencies, low frequencies in stereo, uh, especially out of phase low frequencies could not be cut on vinyl and in the EDM scene nowadays what a lot of producers do is make for some kind of reason they think they can go louder is make the bass line really wide really stereo and oh. keep the bass drum in the middle so they think that it's separated and it can go louder bullshit but yeah. a completely different story but those bass lines could sometimes not be cut on vinyl because, because they're stereo because they are too stereo. Mm. So that could be problematic as well. Okay. So it's always a good idea that when you're going to release on final, or if you have plans on releasing on final, at least mention it to the mastering engineer so mm. he can make separate masters for final because you simply need those. So I think what I think the reason why people make those baselines wider might be that it sounds a bit warmer. Could be. Uh, but they also forget that in a club, a lot of PA systems are set to mono yep. and especially the bass. So it doesn't that make sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially yeah. when, you, when your music gets played on the radio as well, that might be a problem. Uh, I don't, they do a lot of processing, but I don't think that they make the bass more mono. Maybe they do, but I, I don't think they do that. They do a lot of things like compression and things like that, but not making it more mono. Uh, by the way, and you're making your bass more mono, a subwoofer system, what you have in the living room, only has one subwoofer in the middle. So there you go with your really wide bass sounds it's gone, played yeah. in the center. Yeah. So 
Yeah, yeah. As long as and when it comes to bass lines, which you can hear, let's say at 200 hertz, uh, above 150 hertz or something like that, then you can hear where the actual bass sound is coming from. But so below it's that, okay. it's pretty hard to actually hear where the, the sound itself is coming from. That's the system, the the, the how the whole the whole subwoofer system works. You put a bass a subwoofer somewhere in the back of your room, and you don't hear that it's coming from the back of your room. You just hear the bass all around you. Yeah. Okay. So, so if, also for if these you things. still would like to yeah. get the the stereo feeling of the bass, what's a better way to, to create that? Um, you can do that by adding harmonics, and those harmonics are not really the, the really low bass frequencies, but like, let's say you have a bass line which is at, I don't know, 80 hertz, mm -hmm. then you get an upper harmonic which is at 160 hertz, 320 hertz, mm -hmm. so all of a sudden you hear those harmonics, and those harmonics could be stereo, mm. but not the official bass frequency, the harmonics could be more stereo. So you get a feeling of a really wide bass, but the actual low bass is not really stereo. Mm. And how can that be done? Um, if, you if you add distortion simply set, you're okay. adding harmonics. Okay, so yeah. if you add distortion, you're adding harmonics. That's what I also do. Uh, I'm not sure if you can see it. The, the yellow compressor you can see mm -hmm. right there yeah. is adding quite a lot of harmonics. That's a tube compressor with transformers and things like that. Sometimes I'm just passing through the audio to create harmonics, to add those harmonics. Because everybody is also listening to music nowadays on phone speakers. Mm -hmm. Those phone speakers don't go down to, let's say, 80 hertz, 100 hertz or something. No. So you don't hear those bass frequencies. But because you're adding those harmonics, all of a sudden you still hear those low frequencies. At least you think that you hear those frequencies. Yeah. That's how the human brain works. You're making that up. So it's also you're, tricking the mind at the same time. You're basically tricking the mind to okay. listen to those low frequencies. So adding those harmonics. Yeah. Interesting. It's a weird yeah. thing, right? The human ear and how it communicates with your brain. And yeah, yeah it's a weird yeah. thing. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times when you buy those small Bluetooth speakers, for instance, you're like, oh, wow, it still has a lot of bass. But you're not listening to those low bass frequencies. They also make use of those harmonics. Same with songs so as well. Do they do the same? Uh... I don't know. I I think so. I'm not a big fan of Sonos, to be uh, to be honest. Yeah, but I we I have the um, uh, the Play Bar and the the ones. I think the ones may do it, but the Play mm -hmm. Bar has a lot of uh, speakers in it, so I'm not sure if the okay. If yeah, it could bar. be that they play back those low frequencies, but those those smaller ones, the yeah. JBLs and things like that. I know that they make use of those harmonics. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. it's so small, you know, like it's almost impossible to, to replicate. Yeah, well. yeah, you need room for those frequencies. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. because that's also one thing that people ask when it comes down to uh, to speakers, like the size. In this matter, size does matter, right? The, the bigger um, the cone, the bigger the bass can be. Uh, yes and no. Mm -hmm. It's it's true, but the bigger the speaker, the bigger you go with your speaker. Uh, it's also because because of the, the the actual volume of the speaker itself. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's also moving slower, which means uh, the 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 um, how should I say the, the the actual sound is less precise because the the speaker is like vibrating oh, really? things. The bigger you oh. go, so oh, it can go lower for sure, and it can make because the actual volume is bigger. Mm -hmm. It can produce more of those low frequencies, but with higher frequencies, it gets more problematic. 
So, so for, and you also studio, want those mid mid low frequencies, yeah. So for a studio environment, it would be more, it would be better to have like smaller conuses. Um, yeah, more? usually, um, I think the the, the regular uh, um, near field monitors that you buy, like the Adams or whatever, have like a base speaker of like I think it's six inch or something like that, or Maybe. six, some of them eight inch. Yeah. That's it. For instance, to give you a good I, I, example, you back in the days you had a Mackie HR624 mm-hmm. and a Mackie HR824. The difference was that the Mackie, Mackie HR624 had the 6-inch speaker and the A24 had an 8-inch speaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 624 was better at mid and low mid low mid frequencies, but the H24 was better at low frequencies. So mm-hmm. that uh, for the rest it was pretty much the same speaker. It's just that the bass speaker had a different size. And because of that, it sounded different. Exactly. So Makes yeah, sense. it's well, a combination. What yeah. do you think about? Uh, because I'm a big fan, and I, I believe we thought we talked about this before. But I'm just curious. Uh, what's your opinion on those sub bass things? The the, the sub pack. Uh, sorry, yeah, the sub pack. Yeah, the sub pack. The, the ones that you put in the chair or you can use as a. <coughs> to be yeah, to be honest, I still haven't used it oh, okay, <laughs> Maybe i yeah. should come to, uh, down to your office yeah i still haven't used it okay so yeah i i think it's cool because you can feel those low frequencies exactly. but i think my gut say that it feels um unnatural at lower levels you really not have sure to get if used it's to the it. case but yeah because at low levels you usually don't feel the bass and when you feel the bass at low levels my gut say that it's unnatural but well, I could you be, can. The one I thing have is, no idea. you yeah. can literally feel your gut because things start to shake pretty heavily. Um, yeah. But it's. I really think that it's a great addition, especially for um, for people with a home studio. Um, yeah. Because you can still, well, f- you feel like you're inside a in, in, inside a club, but inside your neighbors club. don't yeah. really care about it. So um, I think that's a great solution and. I'm really amazed by the fact how precise it is, how much it helps if you feel the frequencies. Yeah, it yeah, really I can helps imagine. Yeah. yeah, but I'll, yeah. I'll uh, yeah, if you ever come over or if I ever yeah. come to you, I'll bring it and you can share yeah. and you can check. I it still out. have to listen to it. Like I said, I, I have no personal experience okay. with it. So I, yeah, <laughs> I thought you, uh, I thought we had to talk about it before. Yeah, yeah, sure. we talked about it before. That's true. Yeah, okay. yeah, I still haven't tried it. Sometimes I see people like, oh yeah, I still, I still should check it out to see yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. I'm, I'm like not that. sure if it's something for you for as a mastering engineer. I no, think I'm, I'm uh, pretty sure. Yeah, exactly. It, I think for a music producer, especially when you're in a small room, small mm-hmm. speakers, things like that, then it could work. Yeah. yeah, I think to be honest, I think it's better than adding subwoofers mm-hmm. um, because uh, a lot of times when you're adding subwoofers to your monitoring system, you're making the problem bigger than without subwoofer yeah, because the room isn't properly treated no, yet and face alignment and yeah. so those cancellations that we talked about in the beginning could be even worse mm. cancellations or those peaks could be worse and uh, and also what a lot of people do when they buy a subwoofer they like <laughs> crank it up all the way because they're like yeah now i can finally hear the bass yeah. uh, when you hear the subwoofer you've done it wrong you should not hear the subwoofer just you should just it. like feel it pretty much like eh, something's happening but i don't really pay attention to it when you're paying attention to it you you overdid it it should be flat when you make a really big boost in the the sub frequencies you're overdoing it might sound impressive especially for your friends yeah. but it, it it's not 
how the actual sound is, and that's where it gets problematic. Okay. So, yeah. What else was on your uh, list? Um, the cool thing is, um, what I really noticed uh, uh, right now is that the loudness war is actually people are trying to understand nowadays that you will not win the war by going that loud. That's why you're uh, smiling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I already say it for years, mm -hmm. but I actually notice it now. Uh, back in the days, like, I don't know, like two years ago, when the loudness normalization was already there, but nobody knew about it, um, people were like, I made a master, which was already pretty loud. And it happened quite often that they were like, yeah, could you maybe crank it up just a tiny bit more so that it's going to be a tiny bit more loud than this. Nowadays, I make less loud masters than those masters mm -hmm. which should be louder. So the masters are already a tiny bit less loud. And still then people are in the opposite direction. Like, yeah, um, could you maybe do a version which is just a tiny bit more loud to see what it sounds like then? <laughs> and it also happens that I send them two versions, one loud version and one less loud version. And back in the days, there was no discussion. The less loud version was skipped and they always picked the loud version. Yeah. Nowadays, I noticed that people are like, yeah, we compare them and the less loud version sounds better. Hmm. So people are finally realizing that going that loud um, doesn't make sense because of the loudness normalization. There are still a lot of misconceptions and we can talk for hours about that. Yeah. But um, trust me, you don't want it to be too dynamic because for instance, an EDM track, it's part of the sound to go loud. Mm -hmm. That's part of the sound. You still want the crushed, you still want the compressed, you still want a you limited sound. Energy, That's, yeah. yeah, you want that energy. But there's a certain point where you make it louder, you will simply crush it to make it louder and not by giving it that sound. And you want to stay below that point. You just want to listen to how it sounds. Mm -hmm. And the numbers don't matter at all. Trust me, if I make a master at, let's say, minus six or minus eight, those numbers mean nothing, especially on Spotify. It could be, and actually it is, that that minus eight master sounds louder on Spotify, louder on YouTube than that minus six master. Yeah, because they Because those... normalization takes it down more. Yeah, exactly. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is that the measurement for the loudness normalization, all streaming services use it, Spotify, YouTube, uh, you name them, all use their loudness normalization. It's not like they are measuring the peaks or something. No, they measure the complete track from the beginning till the end. Hmm. And then the overall level of the track is, let's say, minus 10, will be brought down 4 to minus 14, for instance, for YouTube. But that overall level is built up from the loud passages and the soft passages. And if you make the differences between the loud and the soft passages bigger, the soft passages will take the overall level down, which means that the loud passages, like the drop, mm -hmm. could be louder. So that's why you want to have more dynamics. You want more dynamics. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you make it too dynamic, that's okay. also not working. It's, I always say uh, when it comes to the overall balance and frequencies, I'm talking about the yin and yang of those frequencies. Mm -hmm. But it's also the same for the dynamics of music. It's also the yin and yang of those dynamics. Sometimes you want, it, you want this dynamic range, sometimes you want this dynamic range, sometimes you want this dynamic range. Yeah. It really depends on the music. It's not like an absolute, like it should be with this amount of dynamics or this amount of dynamics. No, 
whatever works best for the track. Yeah. So just listen to the track and make it work like that. My son is calling me. I don't no know why he's calling me. <laughs> no worries. So again, no rules. No rules. No, just listen. It's, it's about sound. It's about how it sounds, how it works, how it feels. Use your guts and don't pay attention to the numbers. The numbers don't mean a thing. Exactly. Especially also for Spotify and whatever people are like, yeah, I'm going to master it to minus 14. That's bullshit. If you master it to minus 14, your track will be less loud. Trust me. Okay. What else was on the list? Is there anything else? Um, yeah, this, the, the, the loudness normalization. Um, yeah, I also had one. I could even not even. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not like even, the, <laughs> not yeah, even read the one thing with streaming. Uh, the one of the misconceptions is that they are all working at minus fourteen, so you should master your track mm. to minus fourteen. That's not true because, like I said, some tracks sounds better at minus six, minus eight, or whatever. It, it really depends. But also, um, right now, Spotify is not using the loudness normalization that, for instance, YouTube is using. Um, um, YouTube uh, quite recently uh, went from minus 13 to minus 14 by using the official LUFS values, loudness unit full scale, mm -hmm. that's the way they measure it in. But that is done with a K-weighting curve. So they use a curve, you're less sensitive to Fletcher Munzenegger that we talked about in the mm -hmm. beginning, you're less sensitive to low frequencies, so during the measurement they take those low frequencies out. They don't make that much sense for the measurement, so they take them out. But you're more sensitive to high frequencies, so for the measurement, they boost the high frequencies. So that's how they measure the loudness, how you perceive the loudness. That's why they call it perceived loudness. Okay, but yeah. that works for um, YouTube, uh, Deezer, uh, Tidal, things like that. But Spotify is not using official loves standard measurements they don't use a k-weighting curve so it could be that even though spotify and youtube are both at minus 14 that your track is louder or less loud on spotify compared to youtube mm. and that is because they, they don't use a k-weighting curve and that's and that's why you also offer as a mastering engineer like having several masters several types of masters no, I, I'm, I'm delivering two types of masters, which is a digital louder master mm -hmm. and I'm delivering a streaming master, which yeah. is dedicated for streaming services with a maximum peak value of minus one dB and also taking into account how it will end up on streaming services with loudness and things like mm -hmm. that. Okay. Um, but I also take the overall frequency balance in mind when it comes to the low frequencies because... Uh, like I said, the low frequencies are less important with the official K-weighting system, but they are more important on Spotify. So a track with a lot of bass frequencies will turn will be turned down more on Spotify because the measurement is different. So I also take these things into account. So the yin and yang of these frequencies yeah, okay. is also important. By the way, Spotify announced that by the end of 2019, they were... Now. Yeah, <laughs> before the end of 2019, they would be using the official K-weighting system. Okay, so they changed again. No, they make quite a lot of announcements, but they don't stick to their announcements. Oh, they haven't changed it? They haven't changed it. Oh. So it's still minus 14, which is good, but they still don't use the K-weighting curve. Okay. They are still using their own older system with replay gain, which is fine. But doesn't that mean that if they change the whole system, 
you should also replace your master file? No, no, no. No, okay. because um, the measurement is taking place at uh, uh, Spotify. So you don't have to measure those things again. So that's mm. one of the things that people do. And they're like, yeah, it needs to be this loud. And I need to make a master dedicated for this and this and this. You don't want that. You don't want a separate master for iTunes. You don't want a separate okay. master for this, this. You want one master for streaming services. Mm. So Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, you, you don't want you don't want to deliver twenty types of masters. No, <laughs> no nobody's that, waiting going for to that. Work. So, Imagine that yeah. sending it to the label like twenty types of master. Here yeah, you go. yeah, yeah. This one should be uploaded to YouTube. Yeah. This for this. This that is for this. That will be no. a disaster. No, to, yeah, uh, yeah um, But that's still happening. There's one thing, by the way, with Spotify as well, mm -hmm. and that's actually I think a pretty big problem with the loudness normalization. Uh, there's three settings. Maybe you've seen it in the app that you can choose yeah. between normal, loud, and dynamic, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. uh, the normal one is normalizing at minus 14. And when your track is less loud than minus 14, it's just playing back, back less loud as minus 14. Mm -hmm. The same goes for dynamic, which is at minus 23. Mm -hmm. um, if your track is less loud than minus 23, it's a really low level track, but it could be it's playing back lower than minus 23. And then you have the loud setting, which is normalizing at minus 11. That was the old standards for Spotify. But when your track is not minus 11, but let's say minus 13, so to be less loud, they will use a limiter to make it louder to minus 11. And so that's why it's problematic. Up. Because yeah. you don't want Spotify to limit your track. You don't want Spotify to mess with your music. You just want it to yeah. be the same sound. Because you don't know how the limiter sounds. And that's a setting that the listener needs is to... making. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. You have three settings in the loudness normalization setting. I have no idea how many people are listening to the loud setting. But, but I can imagine that some people are like, yeah, this I sounds the louder, loudest, so yeah. it's better. Yeah. Um, so what I always try to do is, especially with pop, rock, dance, things like that, I make my masters at, at least minus 11 loves, mm -hmm. which means it will not be turned up by Spotify. Yeah. And for pop, rock, dance, things like that, it's no problem at all to make it minus, for, minus 11. So, so you don't have to worry about that. But that's a thing that I know that some mastering engineers were doing. They were aiming for minus 14 because it would be turned down anyway, so why make it louder? Doesn't yeah. make sense. But those tracks would be turned up, and all of a sudden, it sounded crushed, hmm. because the Spotify limiter, it's not that good. So, so don't <laughs> put your setting on to the loudest. Um, no. No, whatever you want. I can imagine that for dance, and you want it louder on your headphones, yeah, maybe the loud setting sounds good. I, I never tried it, to be honest. Me neither. And I I I've, I think I've seen it before, but I reg normally on my phone because on your iPhone you can also uh, change your EQing of how you listen yeah. to music. Uh, but I never touch those things. But it could be it yeah. could be done. People might use it. Yeah. yeah, that's also one of the problems that people are like, yeah, th those EQs, what a lot of people do is make a smiley EQ, boost the low frequencies mm. and boost the high frequencies it's high because fi, it right? sounds. Yeah, high five. Yeah. The loudness, literally, if you have a loudness knob on your amplifier back in the days, it was basically doing that, boosting the lows and the highs. What it was doing is compensate for the Fletcher Munson curve again. Mm. So Mr. Fletcher and Munson did something right in the beginning of the 1900s yeah. by inventing that. Um, but what if you master your track with a lot of bass and a lot of highs, 
so basically too much bass and too much highs and you're playing it back from your iPhone with boosting lows and highs as well. Double. Double. Yeah. And the mid-range is actually the most important part of your music because if you have a track with vocals, synthesizers, whatever, they're all taking place in the mid-range. It's all disappearing. But for, yeah, that's where it happens. From yeah. 400 hertz to, let's say, 400, 4 kilohertz, that's where the actual power of your music is that's not in the low frequencies that's not in the high frequencies it's in the mid frequencies and what you're doing when you're boosting lows boosting the highs and playing it back like that you're doing pretty much a really big dip in the mid frequencies and that's yeah. not what you want so yeah interesting it's all it's all yeah. really technical but it's uh, like I, I can follow all the things because i know well i've been into this stuff for we've talked a couple yeah. of times and i've been doing this stuff for a long time uh, but still, it, it's so interesting to see how all those things work and how software companies play with it, as in make make plugins or make like this room composition things uh, yeah. that's, that's supposed to work. Um, it's really interesting to keep track on those things while in yeah. the end it's all so basic. It's just sound, which you said, like that's you don't fuck with the rules, as in it's yeah. just the way it works. Yeah, true. Just yeah, and, and let's face it, those plugin manufacturers will simply try to sell you those plugins. Sure. Yeah, sure. That's their business. Yeah. T talking about plugins, is there one that has been released lately which you could recommend? Um, uh, during Amsterdam Dance event, I was uh, invited by Isotope, mm -hmm. so from Ozone and things, mm -hmm. uh, to talk about Ozone 9. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was released, uh, I think, something like during Amsterdam Dance event. So I got a license a couple of weeks before that. And uh, so Ozone 9 itself <clears throat> is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And especially there's a function called Master Rebalance. And in the beginning, I was like, no, this is not possible. What you could do, you have three options. You can choose between uh, vocal, drums, and bass. Mm -hmm. And especially the vocals, what you could do when you set it to vocals, you have a volume slider, simply said. You can go up, I think, 60 dB and down 60 dB or 10 dB, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And you can simply turn the level of the vocals up and down. Wow. So it just filters Pretty out much like as if you're mixing and you're just turning the vocals up and down. Sure, when you do it into the extremes, like boosting 60 dB yeah. or something like that, uh, then you will hear some artifacts. But when you're doing something like 1 dB of boosting or 1 dB of cutting, which means you're just bringing the vocals up just a tiny bit more or bringing it just a tiny bit more down, um, it, it really works like... I was really amazed by how good it sounds, how, how good you can make it sound. Yeah, and because what happened a lot is that I asked for a revision of a mix, like, could you turn the vocals up a tiny bit more? Or maybe turn the vocals down a tiny bit more. I don't have to ask for a remix when it comes to vocals. I can just do it myself. That's great. And I so far, yeah, I, I didn't checked have it yet. any track where it didn't work. I, I, I just finished a master for uh, Krak and Smak, a radio edit. And for radio, it's a good idea to turn the vocals up a tiny bit more. So the mix was pretty good, but it was like, yeah, for radio, it might be a good idea to make the vocals just a tiny bit more loud. So I turned the vocals up like 1 dB, 1.2 dB or something like that. And it sounded more radio right away. Wow. And I didn't have to ask for a remix. Yeah, hmm. It's really amazing how it works. Uh, check it out because I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of Isotope uh, and of yeah. Ozone as well. Because the one, I think they launched it last year as well, maybe two years ago, the, the Vocalizer. 
Uh, I know Focal Synth. What's the? I think it's Focal Synth. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. I I do have a license for sure because I've got a <laughs> license from them. It's a plugin but, uh, which actually, <laughs> if you put in a vocal, it kind of adds layers to it. Uh, okay. Harmonics, all those kind of things. Um, yeah. It just if if you work with vocals, I I really think it's a great uh, it's a great piece of software. Um, but I'll definitely check out the the Isotope as well because I think I think I'm still using seven. Yeah, I think yeah, and, and I think yeah, it's Ozone Nine right now. Okay, yeah. Nine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, still Ozone Seven is also pretty good, but you get those extra functions like the the master rebalance and yeah. and 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 some other things as well. But the master rebalance, I was really amazed by how good it sounded. And I am I prepared some tracks, of course, and during Amsterdam Dance Event, and I was making the people listen to the difference. And it was more like I was mixing the track, like hmm. turning the vocals up and down. It's but I was like actually just using the master rebalance thing. Yeah, it's kind of like I was stem really mastering. Amazed. Sorry? It's kind of like stem mastering. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can add a tiny bit more level to the vocals or turn it down yeah. more. And you can also do the same thing with the drums, which is you can hear more that something is going on there. But you can also make the drums a bit more punchy because of that and uh, and things like that. One moment. Jongens, I sit at the telephone. Okay, I'm back. No <laughs> My kids want to come into the studio. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> That's the beautiful thing about yeah. the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the whole um, thing. Anyway. Yeah, but that, that, that's really cool. But also, uh, yeah, of course, the Fab Filter plugins. I still mm. use the Fab Filter plugins Me all too. the time. The, the Fab Filter Pro Q3, the, the EQ from Fab Filter, uh, the new version, which I think is already a year old, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, has dynamic EQ functions, which means it's just boosting or cutting a frequency just when that frequency is speaking. Yeah. So you can take, for instance, a hi-hat down just when that hi-hat is there. And for the rest, it's, it's going to be left alone and you don't hear what's going on there. And that's really brilliant. You can really do a lot of cool things. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah, sure. You need to echt even weg. Straks. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> they want attention. Yeah, it's kids, right? <laughs> Going to help them soon, but <laughs> but it, that sounds great because it's kind of it kind of works like a compressor in that case, as in it only yeah, starts it working is, when yeah. it hits the threshold. Yeah, that's why they call it a dynamic EQ. It yeah. is kind of like a multiband compressor, but in this case, a compressor you have to control attack, release, things like that. But in this case, you just have to make it a dynamic EQ. You don't have to think about timing like attack, release, whatever. You can set the threshold by hand, but you can also do it automatically. Mm -hmm. And it simply adds, boosts, or cuts that frequency just when that frequency is there. Yeah. And it's really brilliant. Yeah, that's really so, brilliant. Yeah, in the beginning, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to use that function when I was beta testing it. But in practice, I'm using it multiple times a day because you have so much more control over just one frequency area. You, because the, the, the thing is, with mastering, you're working on the stereo mix, and with the stereo mix, you're always changing something else. For instance, if you want to take the hi-hat down because the hi-hat is too too loud, and you take down, let's say, 10 kilohertz, you're not just taking down the hi-hat, you're also taking Everything. down yeah. some things in the vocals, some things in the synthesizer, whatever is there, it's yeah. at the same frequency. But with a dynamic EQ, because it's just working on the loud sections, it's grabbing those peaks, you just take that down, and after that, it's going back to the same yeah. Point again. The alone, yeah, yeah the rest is left alone. Yeah, sure, it's not always foolproof because sometimes you just cannot boost or cut those things. But in practice, it really helps me a lot to use dynamic EQ nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. and that's something which you cannot do 
with analog equipment. Really? What's oh because the, the metering because, because the, those, that technique is simply pretty much impossible with uh, analog technique. You can just do it with digital. Hmm. So yeah, and that that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna leave you with your kids. Yeah, they they, they want attention. <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about an hour, they so I can imagine why they want the attention. Studio, but it's yeah, the end yeah. of the day. <laughs> exactly. No worries. So, thank you for your time and thank you for all yeah, the all the explanation and all the the tips and tricks. Um, welcome. Yeah. Thanks again, and uh, maybe we'll see you again this year or next year. We'll see. Pretty sure. Yeah. Hopefully. Cool. Thanks, man. Okay, man. See ya. Bye. Cheers. Hey everyone, what's up? It's me, Joey Suki, and thanks for listening to this podcast episode. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe on this podcast on iTunes or just share it with your friends who you think it could be valuable to. So thanks again for listening and see you next time.